Okay, uh, if Matt can project uh, or wh whoever's our uh, host, project numbers 20 uh, on the chat um, box. So uh, we are uh, you know, working through the middle portion of, of numbers and um, the theme of kind of rebellion and kind of opposition has been uh, uh, kind of uh, the main topic over, I think like three, four, maybe five studies, uh, four studies maybe. And um, so, you know, we've seen their, the, the Israelites on Moss uh, refuse to obey God and, and enter Canaan. And, and there's a lot of repercussions from that. We looked at uh, uh, Miriam and Aaron opposing Moses. And then we saw um, the some of the um, um, Levites, some of the uh, 250 uh, people who were leaders uh, opposing Moses and Aaron and stuff. Uh, today, uh, we kind of uh, zero in on Moses and Aaron, right? They uh, uh, end up being kind of, um, they have their own issues and uh, so, uh, kind of, it, it runs the whole gamut, right? The whole range of, of uh, people and um, their, uh, yeah, their imperfections, certainly, uh, but also kind of um, the ways in which uh, they um, uh, spiritually struggle, right? And, and, and or recover. Right? I think those are some of the topics to cover. So, if we could have a couple of volunteers read the verses 1 through 13. We won't be covering the whole chapter, 1 through 13. So please read it out for us. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of the meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he was proved holy among them. Right. Thank you for uh, reading it for us. Um, yeah, so uh, kind of in the in the kind of the the flow uh, of the journey, um, I think uh, a number of scholars feel that this is kind of towards the 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 end of the wilderness wanderings. Um, you know, not every incident, not every uh, travel, right, is recorded. Uh, just kind of the major ones to 
kind of give us a, a sense of, of what, what had taken place. And there was a number of issues like, you know, um, that, that took place um, you know, just, just through the course of, 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 the, of, the, of the travel. But if you look at verse one, it says uh, they stayed at Kadesh. And uh, I think most connect Kadesh with um, what was identified, I think, in chapter 13 and 14 as Kadesh Barnea. And that's kind of on the doorstep of Canaan uh, a little bit. So I'm not sure exactly if they're like uh, there, uh, you know, spatially speaking. Uh, but um, it seems like after chapter 20 and on, they'll start progressing towards Canaan. So it seems like they're getting closer and closer and they will start uh, having to do some battles actually with um, countries or nations or peoples that kind of are border Canaan or contiguous to Canaan, you know, um, kind of, let's say on the, on the east side of the Jordan River, for example. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, uh, I, I don't think every detail supports that, but uh, as I kind of think about it, 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 it seems like you can, it is kind of a, a transition. Uh, a second thing to note is, um, um, so you have Miriam's death um, noted in verse uh, one and two, or just one, right, verse one. Um, it, at that location, Miriam died and was buried. So um, we're not given any specifics of why she died or how she died and um, what the Israelites did. But, um, you know, she was the sister of Moses and we talked about her role in Moses's life. And then, um, you know, she was kind of a, a worship leader in, in Exodus and was called a prophetess um, somewhere. And she and Aaron kind of took up um, kind of the offense, offensive against Moses's uh, leadership. So uh, she was a significant person and um, the first in the family of Moses and Aaron uh, to, to pass away. Uh, we won't read it, but at the end of this chapter, it also notes that Aaron died, right? Aaron died, um, and they actually kind of mourn his loss um, at the end of the chapter. Um, but uh, it's the, his death is revisited, I think, a little bit more specifically in terms of location. And a couple of chapters later, I forget exactly which chapter it was. But um, so it seems like some of this is kind of summational, like they're trying to summarize what's happening and kind of give like an, a snapshot of what's happening. And then it sometimes it returns to more specifics and, and all that. But um, it's interesting because like I said, if indeed the, the, the traveling and the wandering is now kind of on its, let's say, you know, latter half at least, um, you see also God's kind of promise slash curse slash um, disinheritance, right, of the first generation, you see that kind of, I think it's a reminder of that, that even uh, Aaron, right, he does not enter into the promised land, um, even though arguably he was qualified, right, because he was not part of the rebellion in chapters 13 and 14. That was, I think, any uh, male, right, who was uh, 21 or over who could fight, who was, in, who was uh, you know, in, in, could be in the army that refused to obey God's command to enter Canaan. So Aaron technically was not one of them, but um, it, it, I think it kind of indicates that even let's say call the first family, <laughs> Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, they are, uh, their demise is kind of uh, noted or hinted at and, uh, you know, arguably, even Moses's decline, right? Up to this point, Moses has been just uh, long-suffering. He's been just, a, a, just a, a very humble, decent um, kind of um, instrument of God, right? He's done all that God has 
asked of him. He's endured. He's uh, he's been maligned and and slandered, and yet he has you know um, discharged his responsibility, his office, if you will, uh, very nobly, uh, very uh, outstandingly. But here he stumbles. Right? He stumbles, and so. We'll get to that. You know, we can talk about that in depth. That'll be one of the main points today. But um, I just wanted to kind of give a big picture of this chapter twenty shows, I guess, the the limits or the even the kind of the um, limitations of even you know great men and great great families. Right. The the these three siblings were mightily used by God. Right. Without them. Exodus doesn't happen, uh, and yet, right? God is still sovereign. God is still holy, right? Uh, it doesn't depend on a single person. It doesn't depend on a single family. It doesn't depend on a group. Right? It really depends on God. Right? As we say, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. You know, uh, people comprise it. Right? There are people with responsibilities. People with uh, sacrifice. People with with um, you know a lot of contributions, but um, you know uh, the church is about the people, but it's it's never about anyone, any one particular person or family or or region or ministry group. Right? We could we could kind of put anything. It it really uh, it functions. It it is alive because of the grace of Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. So even back in the, among the Israelites in, in all the way in, in numbers 20, I think we see some kind of uh, indication of that. So uh, let's pop the first question up, which is to kind of uh, analyze or consider the uh, complaint. Um, so I just put it this way. Do you see anything distinctive about the complaint of the people found in chapter 20 as opposed to prior or previous complaints? So if you have a kind of a thought, please you know, unmute yourself and share or you know, pop it in the chat and maybe we can uh, try to answer this question together. Um, I thought it was interesting in verse three, they actually said they would have preferred to just be punished by God previously. They said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead. Um, I guess they do also say they wish they had just stayed in Egypt, but I thought that was funny kind of that they were like, oh, we're actually okay now if we had just been struck down before but what do you make of that is that are they becoming more jaded or is there a legitimacy in in what they're saying at all which which incident if any do you think they're referring to in this when they say our, when our brothers fell dead i mean it could have been it could have been multiple ones but maybe the plague i don't know because that took out like wasn't it like ten thousand people or something um i don't know if they're just so tired of wandering that now they just feel like they'd rather be dead than just continue down this path i don't know yeah good i thought that that part sounded very korean I can imagine a lot of Koreans saying things like that. What do you mean? You know, they they say, uh, you know, like, like, <laughs> Okay. 
So they 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 express themselves in kind of these terms of death. You're saying? Why didn't you just kill me back then? Why did why did you put me out of my misery? Uh, and you think that's a particularly Korean trait? I don't think it's particularly Korean, but it is Korean. You get you guys that are not of Korean culture. Uh, is there a counterpart? Do you hear? Uh, in other cultures? Uh, definitely in the Chinese culture. Um, similar, similar, uh, yeah, similar phrases. What are some of the phrases? In Cantonese? Yeah, so that uh, I, can, I, I can listen to it and, and know what people Yeah, are. which is, I would rather die <laughs> uh, uh, Why you kill me already? Yeah, how do you say that? What, what, I don't know. I, I that, said that to you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to it right now. Um, just like, yeah, just similar phrase. I, I can't think of another one about death, but just similar phrases like, I would rather, you know, this or that. So like, I would rather have a roast pork than have you as a child. I would rather have, you know, I would rather than this, right? And it's it's all about this, you know, just dissatisfaction with the current. Okay, any other cultures uh, have the representative uh, kind of uh, uh, remarks? <laughs> Do you guys think it's an exaggeration, more of an exaggeration, or that's a, a, a factual sentiment? I think it's just an emphasis on the complaining heart or dissatisfaction. Like, uh, what is the worst thing that can happen? It's death. Or, yeah. And so this is worse than death. What you're, what you're putting me through is worse than death. Sounds like they're being drama queens. You know, even in English, we say like, why don't you just shoot me? The fate worse than death, right? We say, I, I, I say that sometimes. You know, um, it, the first couple of times, I feel that way that they might just be exaggerating. But for some reason, this time around, when I hear this, I'm like, maybe they really do mean it. Because, you know, you would think that after they've seen what happened the last few times, they expressed those sentiments, that if it was just exaggeration, they would kind of get it that, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. But, you know, I, this time reading it, I actually wonder maybe there is something that they really do believe it is we think it's exaggeration but actually there might be something to you know they rather actually die in egypt that they they're only following moses and aaron reluctantly hmm, interesting um, what i remember though is when the plague or when when death comes they're actually very panicked they're very they try to steer clear. So there, it's not like they have a death wish, a serious death wish, at least at those times. Now, in the interim, uh, things could have gotten so bad that they realized, oh, that death was better than, than what we're doing now. It's, it's hard, hard, hard to kind of, yeah, I think, put your finger on it. Yeah. Uh, Diana says, acknowledgement of sinfulness. Huh. That's one possibility. They don't have a dis they don't have a distorted memory of how much better Egypt was. Um, legitimacy and complaint if there was truly no water to drink. Sinful and refusing to go into into the promised land. Okay. Um, I don't know if Diana wants to elaborate verbally, but uh, so they think they should have they had culpability like their brothers. Is that what number one is the, possi the possibility of you raising? Yeah, I think if they said uh, in verse three, 
If only we had died with our brothers, felt dead before the Lord. Um, yeah, it, the previous uh, complaints didn't really have that kind. It didn't go to that extent, like where they kind of almost say we we want to die, and maybe even we deserve to die. Um, here, there's some yeah. There's a level of desperateness, almost like where uh, they they really have no water and they have no food to drink. Uh, no no water to drink, no food to eat. So they, they see this as a punishment that maybe, and, and they don't want to endure it anymore. It, okay. That they'd rather die. Yeah. But it seems, at least to me, the character, the specifics of that one might be a little bit, like I said, you, like you guys said, distinctive or maybe unique or new. Um, kind of the tenor of what they're saying, the, the, the finger pointing, the blaming, that seems to me to be vintage, right? Vintage Israelites. Um, so, you know, maybe they're, Diana's suggesting that they're feeling some accountability in three, but in four and five, especially five, right? That seems um, to be kind of, you know, very hypocritical. Uh, to me, right? Because in five, they say, you know, it has no grain or figs, grapevines, or pomegranates, uh, and doesn't want to drink. Um, that, it might be true that, you know, it wasn't the promised land, but why wasn't it the promised land? Right? They, they seem to kind of be blind or totally ignore the fact that they chose not to go into the promised land, right? And especially if it's nearby Kadesh or whatever, if the region is, is the same, um, they should know that uh, it, it's, a, it's a misery of their own making. Had they you know, trusted God and entered in, um, they might have been enjoying all those things that they feel um, that uh, is being denied them and there might be plenty of water to drink. So um, I felt like you guys, I think there's some kind of interesting kind of maybe newness or, or, or kind of this, but at least my conclusion was that um, they still haven't learned to take responsibility. Um, I mean, I, I think to point out or to have an issue with, with lack of water probably is, you know, uh, acceptable, uh, but to blame God, to blame Moses, to forget their own hand in making this happen, right? Um, that seems to me to be on the, kind of the ungrateful, uh, revisionist, and uh, kind of, yeah, just looking to blame another for your own problems. Right? and. You know, it could be both. There could be both responsibility uh, uh, by others, but that doesn't absolve us from our own contributions. It doesn't uh, like allow us the uh, some sort of justification to rail on, on others, right? Um, so, but but I I think what I think what I'm feeling myself and probably I, I, I sense from a number of things that you guys said is uh, this is, you know, really familiar, <laughs> right? This is not uh, very different from, you know, it's a common human reaction, common human uh, response, even a common human, you know, uh, theme, right? That what they um, actually, uh, even the words, uh, this, you know, uh, kill me now kind of thing is, is uh, somewhat prevalent across cultures, transcultural. Um, anything else? Um, there's one more, it's not necessarily unique, but it, it did strike me as different here uh, with the complaint and the aftermath. 
Any anybody observe anything kind of a little bit different or unusual than previous complaint slash aftermath situations? I guess like um, afterwards, like Moses is the one who's sort of punished, right? In the other um, past circumstances, like when there was a rebellion, there was like punishment of the people who were responsible, I guess. Um, and I, I don't know if it's also kind of related to what you're thinking, but something else that kind of struck me was just that, um, you know, that verse three that we've been talking about, right? When they're saying, if only we'd perished when our brothers perished before the Lord, it kind of, it makes me wonder whether like these people who are being highlighted here as like rebelling, um, they, they, like if it was, if they're talking about like when, I don't know, like Korah's uh, people like got swallowed up, like all the people who rebelled at that point, um, died right so these like these folks hadn't necessarily been um like you know deeply i mean i don't know if they necessarily stood by moses but they weren't like really instigating at that point but you know it's like they've i don't know i guess i don't know if it's like reading in too much but they've sort of been holding it um or they stood by moses but you know at this point then now now they've had it and then they're bringing it before them and maybe they're kind of projecting backwards like oh we should have rebelled earlier <laughs> and then and then died along with them so anyway just random thought so. yeah I, I was thinking along the, at least the first part of what you said um normally there's customarily there's you know punishment some sort of discipline but um and it does fall on moses but i don't think that was god's original intent Right. So almost in this situation, it seems like his response was, okay, I'm just going to give you guys water. I'm going to answer your request. Right. I'm not going to discipline you. I'm not going to punish. I'm not going to kill. Uh, so it's almost like, uh, and maybe it's related to why God kind of, um, you know, um, takes issue with Moses, but um, there is, uh, it seems that, God was being just fully gracious, um, despite the Israelites' complaint. Um, he was meeting the need without really uh, taking them to task for their, yeah, their attitude and stuff. Um, you know, one thing that kind of perturbs me about the Israelites' complaint is, and even something like, it would have been better to die with our brothers, um, it is just kind of, um, again, the complete disregard of God's mercy. Um, you know, the fact that they weren't all completely wiped out numerous times was because God relented uh, and Moses, Moses saved them pretty much. He, he interceded, he fell face down. He does it here too, right? So, you know, Moses kind of lays down himself he he puts it on the line for the sake of his people but you know they they lump him in with god and they don't uh they aren't grateful they aren't appreciative and um not to excuse moses but you know moses you know get, takes it in the teeth on this one right even though he he his intercession spared their lives um you know still you know, I think they contribute to his loss of privileges. He can't enter uh, the promised land. He can't lead the people into the promised land. So um, you don't see Moses complaining. Moses does not, you know, return evil for evil against the complainers. But just, you know, following Peter's, uh, what he said, if I, if I understood what he was saying at the, at the second part, to have that perspective is like, you know, I should have rebelled earlier. Yeah, um, it, it just seems that then their 
they legitimize the first rebellion and they don't acknowledge, appreciate, um, even accept the, the mercy of, that came from that rebellion. They were spared, right? And for them to say, well, you know, we should have, <laughs> we were, they were in the right and we should have joined them. It just kind of, I don't know, it, it suggests um, uh, a diff very different uh, kind of assessment of, you know, what had taken place. Okay, uh, maybe that'll segue us into the second question, which is, uh, do you think God was possibly nitpicking Moses for his conduct such attitude? Or do you think God's rebuke such discipline of Moses was appropriate, right? So God told Moses, uh, assemble the people, speak to the rock. So it's probably like a crag, right? A cliff or something where, and water will issue forth, right? Uh, but Moses goes there and he gathers the people and he rebukes them. He calls them rebels. And then he strikes a rock twice. Water does issue forth, but God is displeased. God's upset. So I wanted us to explore, is God being maybe too stringent, too strict on Moses, you know, uh, speaking versus hitting, uh, striking? Uh, what could be going on? Um, is it just Moses is held to a higher standard? Yeah, I, th I thought this would be a fruitful kind of uh, area for us to look into. I think it was um, it was strict. I think it was very strict. I think he was nitpicking, but I don't think it was um, uh, it wasn't unfounded. Like you know, to be the leader of his people, I do think that the the you know he should have very high standards. There should be and there should be very strict guidelines uh, to be to be you know his leader, right? His representative. Um, I think um, you know if I look back at the first. The first question, and just thinking about, you know, what I really consider these people to be rebelling. I mean, I get, yeah, it is rebelling, but you know, they've been going through um, these years of, you know, suffering even in, in, during this quote-unquote rescue plan, right? So, you know, we have you know, a lot of different types of movie sets, and people get saved, and then you know, they they you know, it's kind of like a botched thing, and it's kind of like, oh well, yeah, well, this, well, this is God's rescue plan, you know, question mark, right? You know, like. This is where I'm. I'm saved from Egypt, but I'm suffering, and my livestock is. I mean, even the way the the way they complain is very specific this time, right? It's not that I don't have meat. It's like I don't have pomegranates. I don't have figs. I don't have grapes. I mean, they're very specific. These are things that are really dwelling in their mind. And I guess, you know, over years, I mean, for for myself, crossing over the forty year mark, you know, many years ago, just thinking about a person who's been going through, you know, very long time of suffering. Um, I, I don't think it'd be rebelling. I think to, at some point I would say that maybe just, they just don't have it to be people who can persist like that, who have that kind of resilience. They just don't have that kind of strength, even though God's uh, by their side. Um, so I would think that, uh, yes, you know, to answer your question, I think God was uh, nitpicking, but, you know, I think he's rightful in doing so. It's, uh, it's his right to do that, uh, to be the leader of God's people. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, it's all of it is, uh, I think, you know, as you said, you know, it was God's grace to give them that water and to kind of not punish them because I think he does, uh, hear, see, you know, that, uh, the people were not just weren't strong enough. And yeah, no, that's my take. I don't know if you did this intentionally, but I think nitpicking is the perfect word here. Because when you, if you have lice, you want to take out every single nit. You don't want to leave any lice eggs behind in the hair, right? Otherwise, it's gonna, it's gonna reinfect the, and multiply in the in the kid's head, right? So, I mean, it's, and in the early stage of Israel, it was particularly important to. To be uh, to be clear about what God wanted from them, to uh, to expand to to demonstrate His holiness and what He wanted of them, um, especially the, the leaders. So, uh, I mean, 
the, the way we use the word nitpicking is uh, is pretty kind of demeaning, but in the way that that you would sit down and clean out every single nit out of your kid's head, you know, you don't want to leave a single one behind. Otherwise, you know, you're going to just have more problems in the future. So That's a helpful thing, Young. I, I did mean it in kind of like, yeah, a negative sense is God doing something that is too much, right? Uh, too too strict for Moses, but you're suggesting that uh, there are occasions or there are uh, there that that can be a, a good thing. Yeah. Um. Uh, this snaps uh, suggested something. I think back to question one. So I appreciate that. Uh, question uh, Alice. Um, so she'd said it. Yeah. Th that's that's kind of like what I'm trying to get at is what did Moses actually do wrong, right? So Alice is posing a possibility here that he struck the rock rather than speaking to it. And she said that that might be like taking credit. So let's think about that. Is striking the rock more Moses than speaking to the rock? That would be more God. Well, to that, I think um, striking the rock was what Moses, that was his previous experience with bringing water from a rock, was when God told him to strike it. So he might have been going back to what he knew would work. Um, if he struck it, then, you know, he's already experienced that and God had delivered water from that, from striking the rock versus speaking to the rock. Uh, he's never tried that before, and uh, maybe it won't work. And maybe that—that's maybe that's part of it that he's going back to his experiences rather than trusting what God told him to do. Um, in terms of going back to what Tony was saying, Joe, Joe let, let me hold off on that. Let me just let's just stay on this one, and then we'll get back to you. That's very helpful. So, you know, there, there definitely was a previous incident where the people complained about water. And God told Moses, strike the rock. And then Moses obeyed and water came out. And um, that was called Meribah. So same name. Some doubters will say it was the same incident, but I think it's different, right? Uh, and, and the nuance that Joe's saying is that maybe that was familiarity that was kind of in his experiential tool belt. Uh, whereas speaking to the rock would be more an act of faith. But I, I'm not sure that addresses what um, Alice was suggesting, because I want to explore that. Did Moses take credit wrongfully? And is the striking the action that gave him more credit than speaking is? Anyone want to talk on that specifically? I mean, I don't know. Um... Like from the actual, like the, the actions themselves, uh, I don't know exactly how to read into it, but um, as he was asking, I was just kind of reading back over verse 10, right? And he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? So, you know, by we, does he mean like me and Aaron or does he mean like, you know, me and God? So I, I wonder if there's some ambiguity there. Good. Any other comments. I, I'm with Pete on that. I, I agree with Alice that Moses was taking credit in a wrongful way. I, I like to use the word arrogate. He arrogated himself as at least the, the maybe not the source of the power or the, or the water, but a main player uh, in it, right? Um, that he, uh, whether unintentionally, unintentionally, explicitly, and implicitly, he took credit for this miracle um, and thereby, right, took or let's say robbed God of the glory. I, I personally don't think, and you guys may differ on this, I personally don't think there's any difference in terms of his uh, action, like striking the rock or speaking to the rock. Um, I don't think those suggest more credit you know, usurpation or otherwise, 
but this you know phrase that must we do this again so Moses forgot that he was just God's spokesman Moses forgot that he was just an extension of God's hand Moses forgot that it wasn't up to him to say these things but God didn't tell Moses to yell at the people he didn't tell them to uh, you know he gave them specific instructions on, on what to do and and I'm I'm thinking that maybe he wanted to just give them 100% grace this time, but Moses somehow inserted himself. He, he took it personally. He made some personal comments. He uh, made himself look better than he should have, even though, right, he's a great man, even though he's powerful, even though he did all these things and that maybe it was the the rod or the staff that budded back in chapter 17. There's a lot of reasons why Moses could have done what he did, but it was, uh, um, it crossed the line with God. And I think part of that is, you know, what we've been saying, at least I look at it with what Alice was saying and combined with what Peter was saying. Okay. Um, Joe, I want to go back to you before, uh, because you had more to say on, I think, a previous topic. Yeah, I was just going to comment on what Tony was saying about um, that the whole uh, 40 years in the desert and um, maybe it was in rebellion and just um, di they didn't have the endurance or perseverance to continue. And uh, my only comment is that, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's so similar to just our Christian walk that maybe there are times when you're um, just a particular struggle, seems like years and years of struggling with the same thing. And, um, but throughout the struggle, God is just asking them to trust him. Uh, he doesn't say it's going to end tomorrow, next day, next year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Uh, but just that throughout the continuous process, no matter how difficult it may be, that they remember to trust him and remember what he did in their lives. Thank you. Uh, let, let's continue. If there's any more thoughts on the second question. Um, does anyone want to, is there a sense that maybe God is being um, a little too, yeah, stringent or strict with Moses. Why, why not? Or do you think, do you see that Moses's conduct was indeed um, guilty and, and warranted this, this kind of punishment, right? I mean, I, you know, like when Tony was talking about the, 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 the 40 year people, I, I was like, okay, so they're not built to endure and they're not good at it and stuff, but man, God was so, so patient with them. Moses, this brother, you know, this dude just kind of, it seems like one moment of emotion and the same fate. He, he doesn't get to step foot in the promised land. I mean, this dude gave everything. So I don't know. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm trying to be, uh, you know, uh, the bad guy's advocate here and <laughs> saying maybe God was being a little unfair to Moses. But anyway, I don't know if that, that piques any of your uh, curiosity. So I went back and read uh, verse, verse six and seven, and I was trying to kind of see if there's any more we can piece out from the way that God spoke to Moses. And it says, when Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent, right? And, and I'm kind of hearing what God spoke to Moses. And I wonder if other people have heard this, you know, when God spoke to Moses, because it's not actually in the tent, this is at the entrance. So maybe, you know, the Israelites in their tents, they might be able to hear this. Right. But, um, you know, if they actually heard the Lord said these things to Moses, then they can actually tell that Moses was not obeying God 
and telling him what to do, right? And um, and I wonder if there's, you know, and, and this is kind of a little bit of speculation, but um, when God says, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me in the sight of the Israelites, you know, I wonder, you know, whether there is a, they now can see that you demonstrated disobedience to me. Yeah, that, that's kind of, that's very interesting. So that. Right. And because, uh, you know, if the Israelites didn't know God's instruction to Moses, right, all they did was see him strike the stone, you know, you know, I'm not quite sure where the, you did not honor me in, in the sight of them. I mean, maybe it's just that, you know, you didn't give God credit, but then God just say, speak to the rock, right? God didn't say the Lord say to the rock, the Lord command you. We, we don't know what God, but if the Israelites heard God's instruction to Moses and they can tell actually Moses didn't quite obey God, right? Then, you know, I think God would t- say, you, you didn't honor me in front of these people because you, they, they, they can see you're disobeying me. Right. And so, you know, in that sense, almost that you are modeling um, this kind of rebellious attitude to them. Um, and therefore, you know, you will not get to enter. Certainly there's, um, you know, Moses is, we could say is exemplary leadership and exemplary obedience. Then, you know, God is making an example out of him for that. I guess I'm questioning whether the crime fits the punishment. Um, sorry, the other way. The punishment fits the crime. Right. Um, I mean, I, I'm always very, um, I, I don't know, I guess like taken aback when I read this because it does, it does feel like pretty extreme to me. Um, and it's like, I mean, any, any disobedience to God is, is sin. And, you know, we know what the consequences of that um, should be. But like you're saying, like, I mean, there's so much rebellion and, and other things. So in the, in the sort of big scheme of the things, this, this seems like a, a, small, a smaller error. So I, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with it. And so like... Um, you know, I, I look for, I don't think it helps or works, but I look for like, um, you know, is there some larger significance? Like, you know, I mean, I've just heard different messages or even people will talk about how like, well, you know, Moses like represents the old covenant and he's not the one who's going to bring them into the promised land. It's, you know, Jesus, Joshua, who's going to be the one to do it, or, you know, or like even more like esoteric things like in the Exodus um, instance, right, where uh, Moses does strike the rock, God says, you know, I will stand before you there. And it's like supposed to be a kind of like, you know, legal proceeding almost. And so then in this case, like is, is Moses hitting God then by <laughs> hitting the So, you know, so I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that, um, I've, I've not found those to be uh, completely satisfactory, but um, I do wonder whether there is some sort of larger significance or story that this is playing into that's it's not just what Moses did or something about what he did kind of, um, I don't know, like tapped into some, you know, some larger purpose of God that he either you know, didn't play out correctly or uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. The stuff you mentioned, like you could add First Corinthians 10, where it says Jesus was the rock. And so they'll go into like the striking of the rock is a judgment, like just as Moses struck the Nile with the staff. So when he struck the rock, that was Christ being judged. And that was OK. But when Moses did it without authorization, he was, you know, striking. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it kind of gets uh, kind of difficult. Uh, but uh, I, I think. You know, in the end, I, I'd have to, uh, again, okay, first of all, my, my gut reaction would be like, who would want this job? Hmm. You know, like here, here Moses has done everything that God has asked, you know, um, and, you know, he's pleased God in so many ways. And, 
for the people, he's like, maybe he was a little upset at Dathan and Abirnam, whatever his name was, about, you know, that they they kind of accused him of, 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 of you know, playing prince or, you know, being, lording it over them. And he says, don't, I've not taken a donkey or anything from these guys. We don't accept their offerings. So maybe there's frustration or exasperation here and there, but, you know, he's done all these kinds of things. And then, you know, bam, uh, again, you know, starting from their rebellion, um, he's, uh, uh, he, he ends up, yeah, uh, sinning here, right? Uh, uh, it, it was rebellion. It was disobedience. Um, uh, so, uh, it, but it just seems um, like kind of, you know, as Peter said, take, it takes you, you're taken aback, right, by it. I, I, I think I, the way I, I kind of, you know, sleep at night after <laughs> reading this is to kind of, you know, bring in what Jesus said, you know, to he or she who's been given much, you know, much will be demanded. So, you know, Moses is held to a higher standard. I think that's, that's the way you got to look at it. That's the way I got to look at it. That, you know, um, he was, you know, compared to any average Israelite, right, so much farther above them. But really, um, you know, um, he was given, uh, you know, he talked face to face with God. He saw the glory of God. He did so many things that he should have known better. Right. So, you know, maybe we can, maybe the, the punishment does fit, fit the crime, quote unquote, right? So with the Israelites, God can be super gracious. God can be like just, you know, knock out the 250 or sometimes just to knock out the 13,000, whatever. Um, but, you know, punishment, judgment is really, you know, completely within God's purview, right? That's his, that's his, uh, that's his jam. That's what he does, right? God sets the standards, and then when the standard is, is violated, right, uh, he sentences, he uh, applies the punishment, right? So the fact that Moses's punishment was so, in my mind, severe, uh, meant that either his offense was so severe or um, the fact that he uh, disregarded or ignored all that God had done through him, for him, in him. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a finer line. It was a tighter rope. It was a, um, it was a precipice that Moses, you know, uh, was navigating. And so I don't know if he had to be extra careful, extra humble, extra prayerful, but um, you know, in the end, um, God's holiness prevailed, right? So. I, I think at the end, what does it say? Verse uh, 13, uh, where he, God showed himself holy among them. I think somehow that is the, the key, um, the key kind of thread here. Uh, what Moses did was to not regard God as holy. Um, right? And, and God in his holiness, I mean, there's many ways to look at that, right? Purity, uh, kind of separateness. But I, I think here it's sovereignty, right? That God's will um, is, is, is law. It's the truth. It's the standard. You know, God can do whatever he wants. And, you know, thank him. He always does what's right, I think, right? And, although we have some questions here and there. But because... Um, he is holy, what he says goes. And if anybody understood that, if anybody lived that, if anybody preached that, that was Moses. And the fact that, it, I feel like if someone else had done this, like if, if Joshua or, you know, if, if Korah was still alive, you know, if they kind of, you know, messed up the instructions, somehow, you know, their knowledge of the holy uh, was inferior. It was still being developed, but Moses, Moses knew better. And so I think that's why uh, I, in my mind, um, that's how I kind of justify uh, why the pun the punishment was uh, so severe uh, by that carrying on that logic though, it doesn't have, you know, 
it could have been a ticky-tack crime, right? It could have been a tiny nitpicking nit, but, you know, if God wanted to make this the consequence of what Mo Moses' failure and sin, then he's, to regard him holy is to accept that, right? So it has its kind of, you know, internal, you know, logic and difficult as it is, right? Um, oh, there are some chats that I should read. While you're reading, um, just a comment. Same with Peter. Whenever I read this, I, I do. Um, yeah, it. I. I guess like I personalize it and, you know, and think of it as relationally. God just expected so much from Moses, and uh, he almost seems to take it personally. You know, verse twelve, because you did not trust me enough uh, and me enough, and. Um, felt like he, or what it comes through to me is that God seems almost betrayed, or he, like you said, he expected so much more of Moses. But um, it doesn't make it easier to read, though, you know, like even though you could say that, oh, it's God's compliment to Moses that his expectations of him is so high. But like even towards the end, like I was going into Deuteronomy and you know, um, this chapter three and um, uh, verses 21 to the end. And, and Moses is pleading with God again, if, you know, just let me go and see it, you know, let me go, let, let me go into the country. And then uh, verse 26, but because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said, do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Uh, it's just, it's just sad. He goes up to the top of Pishka and looks, and then he gets to see the promised land that way. It, yeah, I always feel bad for Moses. Any other uh, people want to feel bad for Moses? <laughs> Alice feels bad. Um, Peter feels bad. Joe feels bad. Dave, I don't think feels bad. <laughs> he, he, he quoted the same thing Joe did. In Deuteronomy, he's like, it's your fault that I didn't get to go in, right? He didn't say it's my fault for disobeying. He says it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, like, like I started with um, no, no one person is, is everything, right? No, no matter how great a person is or how trustworthy they seem, um, you know, uh, sin is real and, you know, that's why we need, that's why we need uh, the grace of God, right? There's no, no getting around that. And in my experience. Right? I was going to conclude. I had another question, but I think we kind of covered it already. So, um, that was, I don't know. Any other thoughts on it before I close this in prayer? Why don't we pray? Uh, just, uh, Give you a few moments to organize and uh, just think through this and um, gather the lessons and the, the message for us in it, from it.
Uh, Lord, we thank you for a chance to have this passage and to, to, to think about it. Um, even though we don't perhaps fully understand um, all that transpired, especially between you and Moses. Um, indeed, uh, we uh, are reminded that uh, you are God and, and we, are, we are sinners. You are perfect and we are imperfect. You're infinite, we're finite. Um, and uh, even someone such as so great and such an uh, uh, inspiration as Moses had his uh, falterings as well. Uh, how much more, Lord, do we need to cry out to you, to obey you, to regard you as holy, um, to uh, think about who we are and what you've done uh, for us. Lord, help us. Um, I think even if we are going through tough times, even if there's a lot to complain about, even if um, it seems that um, things that were promised are not uh, being provided, help us to uh, learn the lesson, help us not to uh, point fingers, uh, help us not to wish that we were dead, or maybe the counterparts, I wish I was never a Christian, Lord. Uh, please banish such uh, ridiculous thoughts uh, from our minds um, so that um, we can uh, just walk faithfully with you, we can please you and serve you, Lord, that we can uh, indeed uh, enjoy um, more promised land and the Kadesh Desert. Thank you for a chance to uh, fellowship together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.